Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We Black in the Garden. Soil Cousins, it's your girl, Cola B. Talking, the hostess with the mostest of the Black in the Garden podcast, which you have tuned into. And I want to thank you for lending me your ears because, of course, you could be listening to, like, whatever. You know what I'm saying? All the platforms, all the content. But you have subscribed, right? I'm just going to assume that you did. I can't see you, but I would nudge you to go ahead and hit the subscribe button if you're listening now anyway uh, so that you don't make me a liar. So you're listening, you're subscribed, you could be listening to anything, but I'm glad that you're listening to me. So Black in the Garden is what it is. What are we doing? Glad that you asked. We are curating conversations, some really good conversations uh, around Black culture in the interest of decolonizing horticulture. I feel like it's important for me to uh, update that intention. It's still very similar to what was initially going on. It's still the same journey is still the same mission, you know what I mean? But uh, being a lot more specific about the language helps to set the expectation. I'm, I'm big on expectation management. So I wanna make sure that y'all are uh, ready for and informed about what you about to get, which is a great conversation coming up with a guest that I am just so proud to be able to present to you, Natalie Bazil, author of Queen Sugar, as well as her most recent offering, We Are Each Other's Harvest, and stellar, stellar works of literature. Uh, Of course, you know, I'm very proud to know that these works of literature have been crafted by a fellow um, Black woman person like myself. So you are in for a treat when it comes to that conversation that is coming up in just a few brief moments. I just want to catch you up on what all has been going on. Um, Full of gratitude, like very full of gratitude for so many reasons. Some things would make more sense for me to tell you once they're all worked out. So just stay tuned for for that information. But as for now, uh, since the last time you've heard from me like this, I launched a fundraiser to just gather some community support around what my needs are because I've just been through it. And I'm just like, yo, somebody help. So I launched a fundraiser uh, as of this recording four days ago. And the goal is to reach 5,000. Uh, The fundraiser is still open. No matter when you hear this, the fundraiser, I'm just going to leave it up because support whenever you feel like it. No pressure. But as of four days into the fundraiser, over 4,400 has been raised. 4,400 of them things, U.S. dollars, all right, from donors around the world. Y'all showed out. Y'all showed up and showed out for your girl, and I am so appreciative to those of you who did, those of you who shared it, anybody who took any positive action um, towards, you know, helping us to manifest getting getting to the goal. Because by the time you hear this, we will have exceeded the goal, undoubtedly, and you are still welcome to support. You can read the details of the struggle. (laughs) 
that is pretty much the story that is indicated on the GoFundMe. So thanks in advance if you have not done so yet and you're going to. Thank you again for those of you who already did. And so that is, of course, like I always say, one way to support. Uh, the other ways to support are in my in the show notes, they're in the bio to all of my social media links. We have a newsletter that is up and running. Can I, can I just be transparent about the newsletter? I wish I could have been brought y'all the newsletter, but I just really had to get my stuff together to a point where I could say, you know what, I'm, a fi- I'm about to do every week, sit down and write a newsletter. So since I do take the time to read that, I mean, not re- since you're going to take the time to read it, Make sure that you get it by signing up for it. You see how I, I cleaned it right on up? I went out of editing. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to Jerome, but sometimes I like to just get it all in one take. So go to blkinthegarden.com. The link is in the show notes. As per usual, sign up for the newsletter. It'll pop up when you first get over there. Sign up for the newsletter so you can get that every week. Maybe you didn't get to listen to the podcast. That's fine. You can get a little update on what's going on with everything that I got going on in the garden and anything relevant to things. You know what I'm saying? It's all my business, obviously. I don't come on your newsletter looking for you to tell me all your business. So yeah, shout out to Tabitha Brown. But hey, I know y'all ready to get into this conversation with Natalie Bazil. I am excited about you hearing it. I was just happy to hear it all over again. As y'all know, uh, a brilliant contributor to uh, Black girls in literature, Black women writing incredible things. I am very thrilled to present this interview to you. If you are feeling it and uh, you you found yourself having a good time and really getting some gems from it, make sure that you uh, take all these steps that I'm indicating where you can go in the show notes and support the podcast, sustain the podcast. You'll hear more about our sponsor, Motherland Essentials, uh, in a little bit. So also support in all those ways that I'm presenting to you so we can keep the podcast going because why would we not all right we have so many more conversations to have but we're going to get into this conversation right now with Natalie Bazil. thank y'all soil cousins talk to y'all on the next one all right soil cousins so on this episode of black in the garden we are joined by Natalie Basil. It's a fun name to say. Some of y'all probably been saying it wrong anyway. I'm glad that I could help you set the record straight on Black in the Garden. Acclaimed author of We Are Each Other's Harvest. And if you're not current, then you probably know her as the author of Queen Sugar. (laughs) So welcome, Natalie, and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I am very much excited, as anybody listening could imagine. I don't know how that feels for you, though. You're just like, hey, you said show up now. Here I am. What do you want to talk about, girl? Time is money. It's good. It's a beautiful afternoon. Excellent. So the first question that I ask at the top of every interview, season four, the theme, if you want to call it that, is how have plants added value to your life? I'm a person who needs to be engaged and in conversation with things that are beautiful. I need that. I need to be in spaces that where there is beauty. 
because it, it lifts my spirit and it feeds me. I always try to, and, and I have, here's the thing. I have two children. They have two dogs that I am now responsible for. So on the living thing front, I'm good, right? Mm. So mm. I know a lot of people, their plants are like their living things. And that is true for me, but I have a hierarchy of living things. And, and I draw a lot of hierarchy and inspiration <laughs> from these other living things that are. Mm. And so for me, plants bring joy to me, A, because they're beautiful. They're just there is something very calming yes. about being kind of in the presence of growing things. And in terms of what probably brings me the most joy when I'm not thinking about gardening and stuff is flowers. I love flowers. I love flowers. Yes. Just, the beauty. Yeah. The beauty. It's the beauty. Even if Do it's have- just like a little bouquet that I get from Trader Joe's, it just brightens my mood it brightens the space and we talking about tj you know they <laughs> they usually come through with the flowers no. Do you have a favorite flower yes so i love their tulips mm-hmm. i always get their tulips their sunflowers i oh, get yeah. a lot of sunflowers yes sometimes i will go and i will just get their like bunches of greens that they have mm-hmm. for like 3.99 it'll be mm-hmm. like eucalyptus or some other yes. kind of greenery and i'll mm-hmm. just throw that in a in a little a vase, vase or yeah. something so those are my look it up yeah, those are my yeah those are my tulips sunflowers tulips. i used to be a big gerber daisy fan those are but the so stems lovely. fall over and break so quickly oh, too much maintenance and that speaks directly to enjoying beautiful things yeah do you grow flowers uh not where you? we currently are i i used to when we lived in la We lived in a suburb. We were talking about suburbs earlier. Oh, yeah. The sterility of them. Oh, deadening. Mm -hmm. But I had a big... What's the word? Homogeneity. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I know words. uh, I can't... uh, Suburbs I cannot do. But when I used to live in one, we had a, a big garden on the side of our house. And I used to grow vegetables, but then always sunflowers back there. And Ooh. I loved it. Yeah. What's the and tallest sunflower you grew? Not the really gigantic ones. These were probably five feet tall, six, maybe good. five feet tall. But That's good. Re- well, but recently I was up at Soul Fire Farm. This was back in May. Mm-hmm. And they had like at some of the ends of the garden rows, mm-hmm. they had massive sunflowers that had dried so obviously they were from a year ago or something but they left them they Mm -hmm. left them and the Mm -hmm. stems were no joke like seven feet tall with massive heads on them it was like looking at something prehistoric that's on my bucket list though it's been on my bucket list for a while I believe this year I can make it happen but on my garden bucket list Mm because you know I have categories because I don't know I'm weird, mm. but to grow a massive sunflower. Yeah. And so shout out to Soul Fire Farms, by the way, we're going to get there because okay, I know no you talked to Leah Penniman in, mm-hmm. in your book, We Are Each Other's Harvest. Wow. There's so much to unpack, obviously. Yeah. But that garden that you were growing, you said that you grew sunflowers there. And who did you tend that garden with? I tended that garden with my two daughters who Mm. were little girls at the time, like 18 months, you know, two years old and 
five years old. Mm-hmm. And we used to go out there and, and garden together. And then my dad used to, my parents would come over because mm-hmm. at that time they only lived about three blocks away from us. They would Ooh. come over and would help me garden and weed and water. It was lovely. It was lovely. I love that garden. A whole family. That was a family thing. In yeah. the garden. Mm-hmm. Are your daughters still connected? To the to the gardening that yeah. way? Yeah. I should have said that out um, loud. Well, let's see. My younger daughter lives in Brooklyn in an apartment. She's a oh. big plant person now. Actually, okay. both of them are big plant people. Yes. They're, they're, the their apartments are like, they have corners of their apartments that are like jungles. They are just Let me like find overgrown. out. They're yeah. soil cousins. We'll make sure they get some Black yeah. in the Garden merch. Thank you. Thank yes. You. Thank you. Yeah, oh, so that is so growers. cool. Yeah. Hey, Soil Cousins, I know you're enjoying listening to this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. We're just going to take a moment to talk about our sponsor of this episode. Very proud to tell you more about Motherland Essentials, a Black woman-owned business run in Charleston, South Carolina, supporting Black in the Garden podcast. And the way that you can support Black in the Garden podcast is by using code Black in the Garden when you go over to motherlandessentials.com. Now, what do you going to get when you get over there? I'm glad you asked. Small batch plant-based products for self-care. I'm talking about self-care essentials that are good for all skin types, good for the whole family. High quality products at an accessible price. Smell good. Wash the garden funk off of you. Okay. Or just luxuriate if you just need to like wash away the, the anxiety and stress of the day. So you can get down with some amazing scents like teakwood and oatmeal honey and lavender and basil, like just mm, smelling good, feeling good, feeling even better to support the podcast and save 15% off your purchase by using code black in the garden at checkout. That's on motherlandessentials.com. Now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah. So you got to influence them with the, not just you, because you got this from your parents, undoubtedly. Mm-hmm, I did. This generational appreciation for plants, you know, because there's they come to us or they benefit us in so many forms. I was going to say they serve us, but mm. the truth that I like yes. to remind people constantly on Black in the Garden is that they don't need us. We yes, need them. that is true. So how could they serve us if they don't really need us? You know mm. what I mean? That generational appreciation and wow, what a legacy. Yeah. Did you ever think about it like that? I was aware of that when we would garden together. It's something that I remember my mother doing when I was a girl. Mm. My mother's still an avid gardener. She will get out there on the weekends and she'll be out there all day. Just that sounds like digging in the soil, you know, (laughs) repotting, planting. She does that. And she got that from her mother. Yes. And, her and her grandmother. So it's wow. really, it really is part of our family tradition. Yeah. And is that something that could be in the works for you with future projects is to dig deeper into your familial legacy with plants and gardening and things? You know, I would love to. I So right now I'm in Oakland. And the weather is more conducive to gardening, but we don't really have the space. But mm-hmm. we're moving back to San Francisco, and I do have more space. But the weather 
is not as conducive to growing the kinds of things that I love to grow. Like I love Mm. flowers. I love all kinds of vegetables. And San Francisco's weather is really more conducive to growing just greens. In most parts of the city, you know, lettuce is fine. Collards will do Mm. well. And lemon. Citrus actually does okay. Yeah. Like I've got, we've got a lovely lemon tree in our backyard. But well, a tree is not a fruiting tree is not something that one just plants and and is true. able to reap a harvest from pretty well, quickly. Well, well not, quickly. not mm-hmm. quickly, but our lemon tree is very prolific. It supplies an abundance mm-hmm. of fruit. I mean, so much so that really um I end up preserving lemons and doing all kinds of things. It's, you know, making limoncello. I make limoncello. Uh, Excuse me, Miss Fancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What is limoncello? Oh, limoncello is easy. Oh, it's easy. Is that a sorbet? No, limoncello is like an Italian, you can drink it. It's like an after dinner kind of liqueur. It doesn't even have to be after dinner. Imagine like a hot day. And you want something that is is refreshing and delicious. Mm -hmm. So all you do, you get a bunch of lemons. You probably need about, depending on how big your lemons lemons are, you probably need, let's say, 20 lemons. You you peel the skin off them. You don't want to take the rind. You just want to get the skin. Okay. You take all of that skin and and you go and you buy just vodka. You can buy Everclear, but that's a little too powerful for me. Just buy like a bottle of, again, Trader Joe's, cheap vodka, mm-hmm. get a container, like a big mason jar or something that has an airtight lid. Yes. You pour in the vodka, you peel all the lemons, and you okay. stick the lemon peel in with the vodka. Or Are the we talking peer. zest or peel? The zest. Really just Because when zest. you said don't take the rind, but take yeah. the skin, I'm like, do she mean zest? I mean the so zest. I'm glad we could clarify. Yes. So yes. we're going to take the zest of about... 20 lemons. About 20. Favorite vodka. Yes. Can we together? I guess you could. I've never made it with gin. I've always made it with vodka, but you probably could. Sure. Okay. You put that container away in a dark place Mm. for about mm, four to six weeks. And Mm. what the vodka does, it leaches all of the color out of the lemon zest. zest. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Then you... You drain off the zest, so just the out, that outer skin of the lemons. You yes. drain that off, and then you have a bright yellow liquid. <gasps> and then you mix that with simple syrup, and you're okay, done. Okay, sold. I want some limoncello today. Yes. You can do that with lemons. You can do it with satsumas. You can make satsuma cello. Any citrus. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good. It's a, just a fun little project. I am a fun project that involves me getting drunk. Sounds yeah. <laughs> like a project that I probably will. I'll be more likely, you know, yeah. at, at the top of my Pinterest board. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah it's easy. Thank you. Sure. And yeah. then what you can do, you take it. So you mix it with the a simple syrup, right? Like yes. a, a cup of simple syrup, let's say. I would make a Cause, simple cause syrup from sweet. a garden something. Yeah. What do you think about like a limoncello with a basil simple syrup? You could totally do that. Oh my Aren't God, that's delicious. Aren't we fancy? 
That would work. <laughs> that would actually be delicious. And then mm. you just put it in your refrigerator, just pour the, put the bottle in the refrigerator or in the freezer sure. and it will keep. And then like when you have friends over, whatever, you just like pour little glasses of limoncello and mm. I make enough so that, and I usually have extra bottles that I keep around. Yeah. And then like as housewarming gifts, I just give little bottles of limoncello. All right. Well, I will be calling you when it's time for me to have my first official housewarming yeah. for some of that limoncello because, yeah. you know, you and told me now. So, <laughs> <laughs> And so, you can yes. make big cello, too. That's, big that's my cello. big cello. That's what that is on my bucket list to make next. You're obsessed with the big cellos. Cello. I'm obsessed with little crafty like projects. Like OK, that. crafty projects. Yeah. So, That's so many, I... so many interests that you have. One of the questions that I wanted to ask you, speaking of like things that you're into and such as a writer, you know, like I, I mentioned in the green room, that's what I call before we get started. Mm-hmm. Um, as a writer being known as, as you are, there's a, there's a level of prestige and everything that comes along with that. I have a, a certain way that I think of writers like Mm. a stereotypical way, or maybe think about the stereotypical (laughs) habits of writers. Okay. Can you tell us about some of your stereotypical habits versus some of your, some habits that you have that may be a little surprising? Stereotypical habits that I have as as a writer. As a writer or as Uh part of your process, you know, whatever comes up for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I am, I am fairly finicky about, I, I have to have silence. Like I'm not a writer. You're not, you're never going to see me in a coffee shop when I, mm. when I've got work to do never okay. because a coffee shop is too noisy for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's too much activity. It's too much distraction. I need silence. Mm-hmm. So there's that. That feels stereotypical or is that kind of, it well, could be it either depends. way. Depending it depends. On... Some, some writers like love to write in, you know, busy spaces. Some, oh. some like me need quiet. Okay. I, I fall on the quiet side. I do like a good candle. I do like... That's stereotypical. That's totally. a stereotypical... <laughs> totally. Here totally. go Natalie, right? With her candles, totally. y'all. It doesn't mean I have to have one. Uh-huh. But it does mean that if I have one, like I'll show you one that I have now. So yeah. this... Hold on. So, and I actually broke the... The wick? No, I didn't break the wick. It, so this is a Japanese candle. Mm-hmm. that I saw and it had a beautiful lid on it. Yes. She's holding up a black yes. candle. It's, it's very, not, it's the, bl- not that the wax is black. We can't see the no, wax. The wax is, is the wax like looks regular. whitish. Yeah. Right. It looks kind of like a little glass, a ceramic. It, That's the word it's I'm ceramic. It's black a Japanese ceramic. ceramic, black matte finish. Mm-hmm. That's important. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it came with a lid and when you finish, you can actually make it like into a teacup. See, that's why I was thinking I was trying to get the cup part out because I'm like, that yeah. looks like a cup. Yeah. It's, and, and this is this is made by a Japanese company. The sustainability um, of that is yes. I love. Yeah. 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 So I, I am a big candle person. And Ooh, I would show oh. you the lid, but it dropped off my bookshelf and broke. So now it's Oh, it looks like it smells good, though. So can you describe good. the fragrance of that candle? Yes. Yeah, so this smells... She smelled um, it. <laughs> I'm smelling it. <laughs> it smells very... It's earthy. Uh-huh. It smells a little like soil or moss or peat. Oh, that's for me then. Yeah. I got a word for you. Umami. 
Petrichor. Ooh, what is that? Soil mean? Cousins, y'all. Because I told y'all I know words. It's spelled P-E-T-R-I-C-H-O-R. Here's a fun fact. I won my fifth grade school spelling bee. So you okay. really can't tell me that I can't spell. I'm okay. basically Aquila in the bee. Okay. Kids. But Petrichor is in relation to the smell of the earth when it is wet or like right before it rains or mm, after it rains. I, love I remember that smell. I know, right? Isn't that a is that how you would describe that candle? Kind of. Yeah, it's a little stronger than that, but you'd like this. I want to just confirm mm. that I'm using that word right Petrichor. by like Ooh, asking nice. Auntie Poop auntie google right quick and y'all really can't tell me nothing now that i've taught this acclaimed author something i'm like mm-hmm. i taught her what petrichor means so <laughs> yeah and i spelled it right and that is it i just is i think i said it right too because you know like i said that, y'all that i right. know words but let's go ahead and get into the actual definition a pleasant smell that frequently accompanies the first rain after a long period of warm oh dry oh a long period that. of warm dry weather i love that and the example other than the petrichor emanating from the rapidly drying grass mm. there was not a trace of evidence that it had rained at all mm. you could have wrote that that's not I like that you word down <laughs> so i wrote that word down that makes me think because like listen i've been submerged in your art mm. for the last few weeks I didn't get to finish We Are Each Other's Harvest. I'm going to be transparent, okay? okay. okay. Um, it's over 500 pages. Like I said, I have two <laughs> kids. They literally yeah. just finished virtual school. Black of the Garden is underway. Yeah. But I did my best, no right? And Queen Sugar, I've oh, been yeah. just submerged in these worlds, right? Oh, and God. what I love seeing as I've been taking them both in, not like at the same time, but mm-hmm. kind of, is seeing the connections. And I'm thinking about, as we were discussing this word, petrichor, your books have left a residue on me. Mm. Your writing has like, I remember one morning I woke up and I was just like, oh gosh, I want to read more of Queen Sugar right now because there was a comfort that I was seeking. Mm. I love that. And it's the way that you describe things like the soil, like when you were talking about how the farmers would taste the soil. Mm-hmm. Let's get into it. Yeah, sure. There's so much to unpack. And of course, we don't have an unlimited amount of time. So I'm just going to do my best. But let's talk a little bit about the farmers. Okay. Just think about a conversation that you had when, like, what was your response when you first learned that that is a legit way to test soil? Mm. What is it? What, well, okay. I'm thinking two things. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's something that I did. Really, that's the most, that, that's the most honest answer. When I was working on Queen Sugar, mm-hmm. I was traveling back and forth between San Francisco where I live and all these little towns in South Louisiana, Mm -hmm. right? New Iberia, which is not a small town. I feel like I've been through there. Is it on 20? It's off of highway 90. So, but like what towns? Patuville and Brobridge and St. Martinville Mm -hmm. and all those little towns in there. That's where I would go. Yes. And in order for me to remember in my body what 
that region looked like, smelled like, how it felt. Mm-hmm. One of my trips, I actually took a little Tupperware container with me mm-hmm. and pulled off into the middle of this sugarcane field, Ooh. scooped up some dirt from a sugarcane field and yes. brought it home with me. When I was sitting at my desk writing the novel and I needed to remind myself of that experience of being there, I would actually taste some of that soil. Like mm-hmm. I would take a pinch or do whatever or smell it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I transported myself back to that place. So yeah, I didn't necessarily learn that from farmers as much as it was only, it was a way. For it was intuitive. Yes, it was a way for me to kind of connect to the place. I learned a lot of lessons from the really, it was really just one black farmer who Mm -hmm. at that time took me under his wing and taught me a lot about, well, one white farmer, but then also a black farmer, uh, Mr. Provost, who was like Prosper Denton in the book. He was my adopted kind of father when I would go to visit and I would just go hang out with Mr. Provost and he would tell me all about his farm and we would just sit in his office and in his shop and talk. And uh, once he and I and his friend Bill went to uh, a farm auction together. Mm, I love that scene, by the way. I remember that scene (laughs) in the Queen Sugar novel. Of course, some of us may not be familiar with the novel because the TV series, obviously. And it's so incredible. (laughs) But in the novel, there was an auction scene. So that's what you're referring to. But you said that you went to an auction Mm -hmm. with Mr. Provost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would imagine that definitely kind of colored your... Oh, totally. Totally. It totally informed my understanding. Informed. Of, yeah. Yes. What, what what farming is like, the realities of it, the hardships of it, the business of it, the it's a life. And just to be able to observe those cycles and then the politics of it. It's like way more politics than you would imagine. Yes. Yeah. What yeah. about the politics, though? Like, ooh, speaking of that because that keeps the whole thing flowing. Can you describe to those who may not be aware or put it in the simplest possible terms about the Pigford versus Glickman case? Sure. Pigford versus Glickman was a class action lawsuit Mm -hmm. that brought, brought by about, I think it was 400 farmers in about 1999, No, maybe it was earlier. It was like 1991, I think, Mm -hmm. where these black farmers, primarily from the South, got together and sued the USDA, claiming that the USDA had for generations systematically and strategically discriminated against them in terms of their lending practices. Yes. And they won that lawsuit. The, the black farmers won that lawsuit. The USDA acknowledged that, yes, for generations, they had been discriminating against black farmers. And there was a settlement where some, not all, some farmers were compensated, but the average right. compensation was only $50,000. And if you, by then, most of those farmers were hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. in debt. And so $50,000 really doesn't do anything. What is 50,000? I mean, I remember Nothing. there was always cuz $50,000 is five figures, right? Yes. 
And mm-hmm. these farmers are easily in the six figures when exactly. it comes to debt. So it's like, you don't even have enough numbers on this check, dude. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But mm-hmm. what that allowed people to do is tell themselves that this question, this historical legacy of discrimination and disenfranchisement had been resolved when it hadn't. There was a Pigford two, Pigford versus Vilsack, Tom mm-hmm. Vilsack, who is the current Secretary of Agriculture and was under uh, the Obama administration. There was a Pigford two that was settled. I believe it was for claimants who did not participate in Pigford one. And when was that? This was 2010. I think this was 2010. That's interesting because I spoke with my dad, whose father was a sharecropper, and he told me about how one of his cousins was able to benefit from that, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, because as part of how you would, uh, you know, receive the the ends from the lawsuit, mm-hmm. you would have to prove the case of how your, your yeah. ancestor, grandfather, whoever was actually a farmer. Mm-hmm. So that was, For, that's Pigford. Two. Okay. Pigford, so, yeah. One so that's two. Pigford altogether. That's, is basically yeah. just a lawsuit. Exactly. Well, a class, class action lawsuit. lawsuit. Yes. A class, a class action, action lawsuit. lawsuit. Shout out to Acres of Ancestry, by the mm. way. Um, are you familiar with them, I'm assuming? Acres, I don't know if I am. Well, they are definitely a part of fighting that good fight. It is, if I'm not mistaken, a group of lawyers. Ooh. Everything will be in the show notes, you all. Okay. There's a lot of factual things that we'll get into. And I like to make sure that, you know, you have that kind of bibliography, if you will. Fun fact, I had spoken with them last year. Oh. Didn't hit record. Didn't hit record. <gasps> we never, y'all never knew about it because I didn't hit oh. record. Your girl was slipping that day. Oh. But, <laughs> oh, no. oh, but no. life has been lifing, so we didn't get to continue that. But mm. yeah, that's just the fun behind the okay. scenes if you are interested. But oh my goodness, you mentioned the politics involved in farming. Yeah. It would be easy to consider this idyllic idea of what a farmer is. Mm-hmm even in the consideration of a black farmer, but actually, you know, when I say black farmer, then I'm thinking discrimination, but you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. the stereotypical image of a farmer is somewhat idyllic. It's somewhat kind of like romanticized. You know what I mean? Can you speak to that? Especially in relation to your work. It's romanticized and portrayed as idyllic because that is part of the American narrative, right? It has everything to do with rugged individualism. And yeah, w- w- when we talk about white farmers, right? I mean, because yeah. that's the picture, right? Yeah. You walk on the street and you mention, you know, American farmer to, and nine, nine out of 10 people are going to say that that's an old, you know, middle-aged white guy. And um, same with truckers. Exactly. Because exactly. <laughs> I was a trucker, so right? I was just like, uh, yeah. y'all, it don't always look like that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But we are caught up in this idea of who, who that, what that farmer looks like and what that narrative is. 